Will you cultivate proper biblical attitudes about sexual intimacy? Learn about it, read passages, teach your kids, learn how these things go, cultivate, pick up the books I mentioned, cultivate careful biblical attitudes. Will you stop cultivating any dangerous relationship, whether it be on the computer? We didn't even get to all that, and we will go there in the weeks to come. Or will you give up the cultivation of any dangerous relationship which is leading towards unbiblical sexual intimacy, whether it be internal or external? And we begin to put away any of the dangerous practices which are leading towards an improper, unbiblical sexual intimacy. Which... Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Ephesians 5.28 So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Those are the kinds of intimacy that go along with physical intimacy. They pave the way for the joy of physical intimacy, and they're not to be, to, to be abandoned in the, in the pursuit of physical intimacy. But of course, the flip side is also not to be true. I love spiritual intimacy. I love emotional intimacy, but I don't do physical intimacy. No, all of them come together. They are, they are to be pursued together as a means and way of pleasing the Lord. And of course, you see how complex that is. I mean, how do we get all this right? How do we put all those together? Well, it is very difficult, but it is something that we are to continue to pursue that we might honor and please the Lord. And why is it that you have the great power of God? Why is it that God brings his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and, and, and give you his principles and give you his church so that you might be pure in this area, so that you might work through the very difficult relational issues which enable both physical, spiritual, and emotional intimacy to come together. And that's the practice of a marriage over a lifetime. You think that's going to happen on the wedding night? You are foolish. You think all of that is just going to come together magically in your first week? Then you have been misinformed. This is a lifelong work. It is not something to be rushed into. It is not something to be abandoned. Well, a couple weeks didn't work. A couple years hasn't going well. 10 years, 15 years. My wife and I have been married for 25 We've been working on the issues, of course, of physical and spiritual and emotional intimacy all of that time, better at times, worse at others, always by his grace, pressing forward that we might honor and please the Lord. And this is what we desire for you. A last fallacy when it comes to understanding sexual intimacy is that somehow sexual intimacy is only desired by or beneficial for men. Again, I think fundamentally, you know that that isn't the case, but practically speaking, oftentimes it, it can seem to be that way. Men and women, listen carefully. Men and women both desire intimacy in different ways and at different levels. However, both men and women benefit spiritually from sexual intimacy to the same degree. I will say that again. Men and women both desire intimacy in different ways and at different levels. 
However, both men and women benefit spiritually from sexual intimacy to the exact same degree. The physical experience is not the primary issue. The nature of the intimacy and what it brings with with your relationship with the Lord and with your spouse that has equal benefits, even though it does not have the same physical experience. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-4 speaks of the nature of both men and women engaging with one another, both as duty, as described in that passage, and as delight, as described in much of the other places in Scripture. Well, so we must first then, if we are going to keep from this sin of adultery, we must replace unbiblical beliefs about sexual intimacy that lead or help lead to adultery. But next, major heading, is that we must identify heart attitudes that lead to adultery. So unbiblical thinking then translates into wrong heart attitudes, things in our hearts that we do not pursue properly. So again, we're moving it inside as Jesus did. And I'm going to talk about, there are many things that I could talk about, but I'm really going to, I'm going to give you four, really five main attitudes of the heart that will, that will open up the realms of sexual immorality, both before marriage and after. One is greediness of heart, greediness. And really that's covetousness, right? That's how the Bible describes it. Uh, for a resource in this regard, uh, I would encourage you to read Finally Free by Heath Lambert. It's specifically designed for men who are wrestling with pornography, but it lays out the principles necessary for anyone, both man or woman, to keep from sexual immorality. It's, it's a must read for men, and I would encourage men to read it along with their wives, even if they don't wrestle with the issue of pornography. Because every man, and really ultimately all of us, wrestle with a twistedness in our sexuality at, at all throughout our lives. So greediness of heart, this is the greediness of heart that desires to please oneself in ways or in times that God has not allowed, particularly in the area of sexual uh, intimacy. Colossians 3.5 says it this way, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. All those are sexual terms generally. So as dead, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Sexual sin is based in a greedy heart. I will have that which God has not provided. I will desire that which is not my own. I will desire that which is another's. Ultimately, anything we desire is God's. And if he has not given us permission to it, we may not take it before marriage, after marriage, in whatever it might be. So a greediness of heart. Is your heart greedy? And that's not only in the area of sexual immorality. That greediness carries over into into every arena. Are you a greedy person? You must have. You see and you must have. What's the 10th commandment? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's wife. Nothing may you be greedy in. So a greediness of heart. Are you cultivating greediness of heart? How greedy are you? You always need the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You are a prime candidate for sexual immorality. Greed is at the source of it. Next is an arrogance of heart. So you're just filling these, not filling these in, but writing these in if you desire. A greediness of heart and an arrogance of heart. This is the arrogance of heart that believes that one deserves to have something that God has not allowed. It isn't just that you want it. That's greed. I just want that. It's that you are sure you deserve it. That you are good enough, that you are, that you are special enough, that somehow you must have this. It is your right, as, as we mentioned. You are entitled to it. You should have a better spouse. You should have less loneliness. You should have more pleasure. You shouldn't have to wait until marriage. Everyone else is doing these things. I deserve these things too. An arrogance of heart which says, I will have this because I deserve it. I am the one that deserves these things. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Pride and arrogance drive directly to sexual sin. Very interesting in James chapter 4, James describes those who have in quarrels and conflicts. He describes them in this way, you adulteresses as they were in their pride, demanding the things that they would have and therefore being in conflict with one another. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Well, what's driving all this? Verse six, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I see what scripture says. I know who God is. I know what he's designed in as far as sexual purity, but I am above that. That doesn't apply to me. I have a reason. I should be able to step outside the commands of God. I will put myself in God's place and exercise my sexuality in the ways that I desire. There's a greediness of heart and arrogance of heart. There's an ungratefulness of heart. This is huge. Are you an ungrateful person? never satisfied with what God has provided in any arena, then you will certainly not be satisfied with what God has provided in the sexual arena. You will not be pleased. Young people, you will not be pleased in your single state and the fact that God has not brought you someone to marry or, or that you are not allowed to pursue uh, sexual intimacy apart from marriage. You will be ungrateful in other things. You will be ungrateful in this and you will pursue this on your own. Married couples, you will not be, you're not grateful for your spouse if you are not. Not grateful for the situation in which God has put you. Not grateful for the amount of intimacy that you have currently, whatever it might be. And so therefore, because you lack gratefulness, you will seek to get that which you are driven to have because you do not thank God. I mean, guys, you understand that a pride, one of the, well, really, the, the fundamental nature of sin as it relates, it, it's related together, but greediness and arrogance is ungratefulness. Romans one twenty one. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Thank you, God, that you created me. Thank you that you're the creator of the universe. Thank you for who I am. Thank you for the universe you've given to me. Instead, it's God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you give me this? Why don't I have these things? Why did you give me these desires? Whatever it might be. We're not grateful, even for the very desires that God has given to you. Well, God, just take these away. He doesn't, he won't. He created you with them. We're to be thankful in all ways for the things that God has given. And ungratefulness of heart will drive you towards immorality. Very fascinating, Ephesians 5, 3. Go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn. I mean, this is, and this is where Lambert goes in one of his chapters, which is so good. Really helped me get some new insights into how I wrestle with my own lustfulness in these areas and how I help other men and ultimately other women in the appropriate places wrestle through these things. Ephesians chapter 5 this is a classic text. Probably every parent here knows this text and has quoted it to their children multiple times, particularly if you have teenagers. Well, you always take them here, right? So, you know, you need not to watch that media. You need not to do these things because, and it's a great verse. You keep doing that. But maybe you haven't noticed something in here. He says, but immorality or any impurity, we won't even go with chapter five, verse one, which is be imitators of God's beloved children. That drives all of this. You want to look like Jesus. You want to look like God himself. You want to appreciate the sacrifice of Christ. That's verse two. But anyway, immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I want to talk about things that are impure, much less to engage in them. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. You might as well go ahead and turn off every sitcom you've ever watched from the 1950s on. Silly talk, coarse jesting. I'm sorry. You're not going to get through one would be my guess without finding some kind of silly talk or coarse jesting. Notice I said 50s. You might get leave it to Beaver where that was the case. I don't know, but probably not. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather what? Does that stun you? 
giving thanks. How does that fix the problem? It's supposed to be thankful. And that'll, yes, instead of sexual innuendos, instead of talking about things that you wish you had or could have, or talking about the latest movie where this stuff is pouring out thankfulness to God. I'm so thankful that he's given me this and given me this and given me this and given me this. I'm so thankful for who he is and what he's done and how he saved me, which is the first chapter, verses one and two of chapter five and all chapters one through three of Ephesians. You lack thankfulness, you're going to fall into sexual impurity of some sort. You're going to replace sexual impurity in your speech, in your vision, in your actions. You're going to replace it with thankfulness. Lambert says, the logic of lust requires you to be discontent with what you have and to pay attention to all the things you don't have. Satan's ploy, your sinful flesh, to say, I'm not thankful with the rest of my life, and so I pursue things in the sexual arena that are not mine. The logic of thankfulness requires you to focus on what you have already received and to be overcome with thankfulness. Again, Lambert, lust steals joy by creating an endless state of discontent in the constant search for the one next thing that you don't yet have. Cultivate thankfulness and you will be able to overcome sexual immorality. If you don't, then you will wrestle all of your days. So a greediness of heart, a, an arrogance of heart, an ungratefulness of heart, an ungodliness of heart. All these are tied together. This is the ungodliness that does not desire conformity to Christ above all things, and particularly above my own satisfaction and pleasure. Do you think if it is not the number one passion of your heart to serve Christ, to look like Christ, that somehow you will escape failing in the sexual arena? You won't. And even as you desire to pursue those things, it's going to be a wrestle all of your days. But Matthew 6.33 is very clear. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. He's speaking there of physical provision. It doesn't get much more basic than the physical provision, which has to do with sexual intimacy. And he will provide it in the right way at the right time and in the right place, just as he will provide everything you need in the appropriate times and the appropriate places and according to his biblical principles. But there's one last one. Because you might have been saying, well, I'm wrestling with all those and I understand those and I'm working on those. And maybe even if you have those and, and all of those other actions of heart consume you, then you may not even be a believer at all. But you might be a believer understanding these things, having said yes and amen to all those things I said. I know I shouldn't be greedy. I know I shouldn't be arrogant. I know I need to be thankful. I know I need to be godly. But here's the thing that's killing you. Laziness of heart. Laziness. And it's, that's a hard attitude, is it not? Laziness is not just simply physical actions. Laziness begins inside as does everything else. This is the laziness of heart that keeps you from pursuing the proper kinds of intimacy or cultivating the proper kinds of godliness and discipline. Your, spiritually, your spiritual sluggardliness leads to every kind of laziness which causes you to be unable to exert the effort necessary to experience joy in sexual intimacy. Lazy people wrestle to be intimate at all. They wrestle to express their intimacy properly, and that begins in their hearts. Spiritual laziness is deadly. And it certainly is deadly in the area of intimacy. To the extent that you are spiritually lazy, you will not overcome and defeat the drives towards in the inappropriate expression of your sexual desires. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Now that's really, in one sense, it's, it's negatively put, but the things that the sluggard there is craving are good things. The sluggard craves having enough food at the harvest time. The sluggard craves being comfortable. It's, it's put in physical terms. And guys, you might have a craving, desire, the right kind of longing for physical intimacy and other things. 
And yet, if you are a sluggard, then you will not be able to pursue it properly. You will have great desires. You will never pursue them properly, and so you will be harmed. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death. My guess is that everyone sitting here, or at least 95% of you are saying, we want to be pure. We want to defeat the sin, even though we battle with it. We want, that's why we're here. Chris, don't beat on us. This is what we want. Guys, I know that. But your laziness will keep you from it. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. You can desire all day long to be pure. And I believe that probably all of you do. But if you do not put in the spiritual work necessary, you will not receive that desire. You will not have that desire fulfilled, that desire for purity. And therefore, you will suffer the consequences. And guys, if you have suffered and wrestled and failed and you are failing this morning, the goal is not to say, well, you know, that just, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do that. What's the spirit of God for? What's the power of God for? To overcome laziness, to overcome arrogance, to overcome ungodliness, to overcome greediness. That's what he has done. That's what he would do for you. Take hold of what he's given. But if you do not recognize those areas of your heart, you will not defeat this sin. And you will continue to be plagued by it. You have to go internally. You have to understand and see, begin to see where you are greedy, how you are arrogant, where you are ungrateful, where you are ungodly, and where you are lazy. Third major heading, you must combat temptation of heart that leads to adultery. So you're combating wrong thoughts, unspiritual thoughts. You're, com you're combating in your heart those uh, temptations towards uh, arrogance and greediness, but you're also combating the temptation of heart that leads to adultery. That is, you're learning to recognize temptation. 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we are destroying speculations, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And he goes, I cannot make any excuses for being as, not graphic in any way, but simply taking this slowly and trying to step you through how you defeat these things. So I'm going I'm to list a whole series of, of ways of things that maybe you don't even identify as temptations, that if you don't identify them, they're going to kill you. They're going to they're gonna fan, be fanned into the flame of sin. It starts perhaps with comparing your spouse to someone else, subtly. Well, someone says like this, and my, my wife or my husband is like this, watch out. The moment you begin to make those comparisons, you are beginning to bring a temptation to mind. It starts perhaps with desire for emotional closeness with anyone but your spouse. My spouse doesn't treat me right. My spouse is not close to me. And you guys, I understand that those things are true. I understand that marriages can be very, very difficult when one spouse will refuse to provide emotional closeness. And so the temptation comes, look, I just want some emotional closeness. That's all I want. I'm not looking for sexual intimacy. And yet the moment you begin to pursue that direction in your heart and mind, you lay yourself open to both internal adultery and external adultery. Desire for emotional closeness with anyone but your spouse. One of the hardest things in marriage is to hold your heart open for emotional closeness when it isn't being given and to trust the Lord and yet to continue to try to hold open and, 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 and put out emotional closeness and desire it. Daydreaming about what it would be like to be with someone other than your spouse. I'm just thinking about it. It'd be nice to be with him or to be with her. Desire to be pleased by someone other than your spouse. That's getting a little bit more obvious, I guess. But, and that's the second glance directly, that is, I desire that pleasure with someone that isn't my spouse or someone that you're not married to when you're not married at all. Okay, someone that is, is unmarried or even another married person when you yourself aren't married. That's just, that, it's the same root problem. How about desire to shut off your emotions or affections towards your spouse? Oh, I'll be with you. I'll live in this home, but I won't love you. You're paving the way for your own adultery 
internally and for the adultery of your spouse. And by the way, for the adultery of your children later on as they, as they view that example. It's, it's, not, it's not an option for the believer to say, I'm just going to shut off my emotions. I'm done with you. You're going to destroy intimacy at every level. Just simply discontent with your spouse. <laughs> well, we're all discontent with our spouses at one level or another. That's temptation towards sin. Are you going to overcome that and be grateful instead? Overcoming it with thankfulness towards your spouse and what they've done and who they are? As a single person, are you going to be thankful with God has given you, what God has given you at this time, not having a spouse? Whatever relationships God has or has not allowed, are you going to be thankful for that and, and, and pursue that, that thankfulness? So discontentment either with a spouse or discontentment without a spouse. Either one begins to drive you towards sexual sin. You start begin perhaps to begin to make excuses as to why it would be acceptable to pursue pleasure with someone other than your spouse. Watch out, you are far down the road. Well, my spouse doesn't give me what I need. So you start to make an excuse in your mind why this is okay either to pursue pornography or to pursue a person. How about this one? Considering gaining security or spiritual encouragement from someone that is not your spouse. I don't mean getting counsel when that is necessary. I mean beginning to find as a spiritual confidant someone who is not your spouse. It's deadly. And that's probably one of the greatest areas within a church where things go wrong. There's wrestles in, in a marriage, there's wrestles in a life, and so there begins to be just a subtle question and answer, a subtle discussion with someone not your spouse about spiritual problems and spiritual difficulties. It leads towards maybe prayer with that person, and then it leads towards internal or external adultery. I didn't name them all. There are many more temptations that lead in this direction. These things happen to both young people and married people. Becoming married doesn't in any way keep you from being tempted in these ways. It can be helpful if you're pursuing healthy sexual intimacy. That can be a great, it is a great blessing, but it doesn't keep you from these things. The most beautiful of wives and the most handsome of husbands does not keep from temptation in these areas. The one most determined to be single all of their life, that is, it may ultimately be a great blessing for you, but it isn't going to keep you from wrestling with these things. So you may not deny them, and you must learn how to deal with that temptation in your heart and to, and to get at it before it, be, it springs into sin. So learn to recognize temptation and then learn to resist the second glance. Now that can be the second glance in the mind or the second glance in, with the eyes. Bring that woman before your mind again. Bring that man before your eyes again, whatever it might be. And we mentioned this last week, James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. The lust begins, that which comes up out of our hearts, it can be evil or not. But then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So you allow it to conceive and then you take the second look or think the second thought or begin to dwell on, what, on, on how spiritual that person is and your spouse isn't. That's not directly adultery at that point, even of the heart, but you're getting really close, really close. You're beginning to play with that desire and it will overcome you. You cannot master that if you continue to pursue it. It will overcome you. It will, it will give birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That is either spiritual death if you are not a believer and that characterizes you, or it brings death in relationships, difficulty, sin causes problems. Thirdly, then you need to learn how to take hold of the power of the Spirit if you're going to deal with your temptations. You do that through the basics. They're, they're not basic, they're vital prayer. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives you all generously without reproach. It will be given to him. You begin to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I'm wrestling here. I'm not thankful. I'm arrogant. I'm, I'm ungodly. I'm lazy. Lord, help me. I need wisdom. I need to pursue you. And he will give you as you 
look into his word because that's next. It's prayer and then the word of God and its principles. Romans 8, 13, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. If by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you, you pray, but then you bring the, the principles of scripture before your mind. I sent out this last week my, my encouragement to memorize. I hope some of you were doing that. But one of the things I stuck kind of in the middle there, I wanted to bold it. I don't think I did was that I would encourage every man, but certainly maybe every man and every woman to, to well, certainly to memorize Romans 6. And one of the primary things you can do with that is to overcome temptations to lust, whether it be the more subtle temptations of, of just maybe fantasizing in your head or desiring emotional closeness or the direct desire for physical closeness. It begins like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. So that excuse that you have that you could sin, that verse cuts that off immediately. You've been given grace so you don't sin, not so that you may. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase, may it never be? For how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. And it goes on giving every justification for why union with Christ should keep you from sinning. All the way to verses 11 and 12. Do not give the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. If by verse 15, you haven't cut off the temptation, keep going. There's another 12 verses. Continue on so that both in, in time and in concept thinking through, it's not a mantra. You don't just quote, well, if I just quote these words, you're thinking through because it's a logical progression as to why you should not sin and how you may avoid sin getting all the way down to the very cutting thought in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that doesn't keep you from sinning, then you're not a believer. Again, it's not going to solve it every single time, but if all those thoughts and considering what Christ has done, if it doesn't hold you back, then you simply don't know Christ ultimately. I think that's going to be the issue. Well, we need, if we're going to take hold of the power of the Spirit, we need to pray. We need the Word of God and its principles. We need fellowship and accountability with other members of the body of Christ. This is not something to be done alone. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. Why should we be encouraging one another? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There are few sins more deceitful than sexual sins. They're the ones we hide in the dark and keep out of the light and pursue on our own continual immersion in the body of Christ will help keep you from these kinds of sins so that as others are challenging you and encouraging you and, and confronting you, if that be the case, that it will help you deal with these particular sins. You're just going to have to listen to them. You're going to have to have a heart that desires to listen and hear. I'm going to give you two more things here and we'll be done for this morning. As far as dealing with temptation, you must then learn to, learn to engage your intellect, to exercise your will, and therefore to change your affections. To deal with temptation, you engage your intellect, you exercise the will, you change your affections. Romans 6.11, in the middle of that, those verses that I was quoting to you, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the intellect. I will consider myself, I'm dead to sin because I died with Christ. You understand the concept with your renewed mind. It goes on to say, since you consider yourselves dead to sin, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you still obey its lust. That's a will 
issue. I won't let it rain when the, when issues come up, when the temptation comes, it doesn't rain over me. So I'm going to put it away. I'm going to set it aside. My will says I will not think about that thing. It will not pursue that thing. So through the intellect, we engage the will. It says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. He remembers as instruments of righteousness to God. And, and then the last part there, and I quoted it, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We become thankful and joyful then to God. Our affections flow back to God because of the great grace that he's given to us. And so through intellect and the engaging of the will, we then gain and grow in proper affections after Christ rather than affections that are inappropriate towards other people. And then lastly, for this morning, under dealing with temptation that was see in our hearts, we learn to have greater pleasure in pleasing God by turning from our sin than indulging in the sin. We learn to have a greater pleasure in pleasing God by turning from sin rather than indulging in the sin. Do you see it? Do you know that God loves it when you turn away from sin? Do you know that he loves it and it makes Jesus look great when you set aside temptation and pursue what is right and good? Have you begun to experience the greater pleasure of turning away from sin, a pleasure that is even greater than indulging in the sin itself? It's a different kind of pleasure. It's not, it's not a visceral, as, as much of a visceral physical pleasure as sexual sin might provide but it is great, deep, abiding, lasting pleasure when you turn from sin. And guys, hear me, and you know that God is pleased. If you think there's no way you can please God, and if as a Christian, there's nothing else you can do that would ever bring any pleasure to him, well, I should just live my life then, and he's not pleased, you know, he's not pleased or unpleased one way or the other. That's, it's absolute foolishness. Every time you turn and do something good, God is pleased. You are bringing pleasure to the heart of God, and that pleasure should bring you greatest pleasure because you are honoring him. Last verse, Colossians 1.9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Here it comes to please him in all respects. You long to please him because he's worthy. And when you turn away from sexual sin, it brings great pleasure to the heart of God. Therefore, it brings great pleasure to you. And therefore, the pleasure becomes ever greater than pursuing that sexual sin in whatever form it might have taken. This will begin to solve and, and the problem and help you work through in ever-increasing ways, greater delight in purity. And my prayer is that you will find great success because you have a great Savior and because your passion for him and your appreciation of his value is great. So here's the questions I have. As you consider, these just these three points that we've, we've done this morning. Will you do these things first? when I find my questions. Will you cultivate proper biblical attitudes about sexual intimacy? Learn about it, read passages, teach your kids, learn how these things go, cultivate, pick up the books I mentioned, cultivate careful biblical attitudes. Will you stop cultivating any dangerous relationship, whether it be on the computer? And we didn't even get to all that and we will go there in the weeks to come. Will you give up the cultivation of any dangerous relationship which is leading towards unbiblical sexual intimacy, whether it be internal or external? And will you begin to put away any of the dangerous practices which are leading towards an improper, unbiblical sexual intimacy, which includes, if you are married, not having sexual intimacy? That is an unbiblical and very dangerous practice. And so you're going to have to learn and and, and, and pursue how God would heal you and work you through issues if you are refusing to pursue that which God has given. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. 
for the practicality of your word. I thank you for the truth that you have given to us in it. And I thank you for the power that you have provided for us to overcome our wrestles in this area. They are deep. We wrestle in every way with our laziness, with our pride, with our greed, with our lack of gratitude towards you, with the refusal to take temptation under control, with a misunderstanding of your word in these areas. But Father, I pray that you would help us to be a pure church in this way. Or that where there's been failure and foolishness, that there would be success and wisdom as people pursue repentance and forgiveness and accountability and greater knowledge and greater delight. Lord, help us to pursue you deeply and strongly to seek first your righteousness, that the world might look and see that you are beautiful, that you are valuable through the lens of the purity of our relationships. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King and the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.